<clears throat> Let us pray. Holy One, speak to us today. Waken our souls within us in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you know that I really enjoy gardening. If you drive by my house, maybe not this year, but last summer, you would have seen basil plants, you would have seen dill, you would have seen thyme, and a few flower plants growing out front. This summer I'm doing a lot less, but I do have this beautiful hanging basket flower out front. And you all know how hot it's been lately. And this past week, I had a very busy week. And so I sort of forgot to water that plant all week. And when I went out yesterday, it was wilted and droopy. And yet, thankfully, it was not beyond saving. But I felt bad because I had neglected it. So I put some miracle Grow on it. I don't know if you've ever used that stuff, but it's amazing. And I drenched it in water. And this morning when I looked out at it and checked it, um, it's already doing much, much better. So, you know, friends, our spirits are a lot like that. Plant, when it comes to needing nourished nourishment, we need the water of life and the bread of life. And if we neglect them, when things heat up, we will quickly find ourselves without resources, spiritual resources that we need to thrive. And that's true as individuals, and it's also true of the community of the Spirit. So let me ask you a very direct question to begin this sermon this morning. Is your soul getting the spiritual nourishment that it needs? You are a spiritual being to thrive you have to regularly feed and water your spirit. And throughout the ages, one of the most important things that believers have done to nourish their souls is to regularly engage in real holistic prayer. Now, not the shallow kinds of prayer where you're the kind of person that only prays in church or maybe at meals during the week, but two-way conversational prayer with God Feed your soul a steady diet of that, and it will nourish your soul. Neglect that, and you will end up like that plant on my front porch did yesterday in this heat. Dry and withered inside. So tell me, which is it going to be for you? Today we come to our next installment in this examination of the book of Genesis that we're engaging in this summer. And we're going to look at an important encounter between Abram and God. And we're going to take this story apart and then we're going to put it back together. And we're going to ask what lessons we can learn from it. Because I think that God has something important to say to you and to me in today's story. So let's open our hearts to this story this morning. Abram was confused. His life wasn't going as he had expected it. Sound like anybody you know? He had long believed that God's plan was to give him and his wife Sarai children who would become a nation that would then go on to bless 
the whole earth. But now, as he and his wife were getting on into their latter years, they had no children. So Abram, Abram was confused. Now, we don't know when and we don't know exactly where, but one day in his confusion, when Abram was communing with God, we're told in Genesis 15, word, 15, 1, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now, let's stop right there, because this is the first key lesson for us in Abram's encounter with God. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. God's spirit cuts through the silence of those empty spaces around us. And in this story, God spoke directly into Abraham's confusion. When you come to God in prayer and commune, when you go into your room and you close your door to talk to God, or when you come in here into this sanctuary on Sunday and begin to open yourself to the flow of worship, don't approach it like it's routine, rote, lifeless, or it will be. Instead, enter the sacred spaces of your life with a vibrant expectation that says God is going to meet me in this space. And that means anything can happen. Hebrews 11:6 puts it this way. Whoever approaches God must believe that God exists and that God rewards those who seek. If we want to encounter God in our lives, we must enter into prayer with that lively sense of expectation. God is going to meet me in this place because you know what? I've heard it. And so have you. And I've actually experienced it in my life. Sometimes when we pray, it feels like we're just talking to a wall. Sometimes you when I see these Orthodox Jews praying at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, Twice a day, year after year, speaking their prayers. I'm amazed at their faithfulness in that. But if we were to look at that picture right there in a very literal sense, however, isn't that how we experience prayer sometimes? It's just like we're talking to a wall. Nothing much happening here. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy after a while. What's the point in going to prayer if you don't bring to it this lively expectation that something mystical could happen in that encounter? Enter your times of prayer with a lively sense of expectation that God may meet me in this space today. There's so much more to our reality than what we can just see with our eyes and touch with our hands. We are surrounded by a spiritual reality that we can tap into. And this is our first key lesson in Abram's encounter with God in Genesis 15. When you enter into sacred spaces in your life, do so with a spirit of expectation. In my encounter with God, I'm going to feel God and I'm going to sense some wisdom. That's what Abram did. And God responded. In the vision that God gave Abram, we're told in the second half of Genesis 15, 1, that God said to Abram, do not be afraid. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. In other words, God is, ass is assuring Abram here, saying, I know you're confused. 
And I know that this plan that I have for your life, it does not seem like it's coming together very well. But trust me, it's going to be great. And that is when Abram did something unthinkable. He talked back to God. Verse 2, Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless? God, you keep telling me I'm going to be the father of this great nation, and I don't even have one child. This plan isn't working out very well from my perspective. Verse 3, God smacked Abraham upside the head and said, don't ever talk to me like that again. <laughs> you heard of fake news. Well, that's a fake verse. Because the interesting thing here is that when Abram dared to speak his mind and express his doubts and his frustration spiritually, God did not respond with hostility, but with a spirit of gentleness. A still small voice inside of Abram, this voice of God started whispering to him and said, go outside. Go outside, Abram. What? Go outside. Just do it. So Abram did so. Verse 5 says, God brought Abram outside and said, look up at the stars and count them if you're able. So shall your descendants be more numerous than the stars of the sky. And that moment right then, friends, when Abram, beneath the majesty of the starry sky, has a moment of experiencing the presence and majesty of God, where all of his spiritual frustration and doubt drained away into divine assurance. And he's able to say, I believe you, God. I don't know why, but I do. And this transformation of his inner being was only made possible because he dared to say what he was thinking and feeling to God. He dared to bring his honest questions and doubts before God. And this is our second lesson. Friends, dare to make your prayers raw and real, giving voice to your questions and concerns. If we do not dare to tell God what we think, our prayers become pretend and we don't have a chance of breaking through in prayer. This is why some people have such a lethargic spiritual life going on. Meh, I could take it or leave it. I'd rather be home watching TV or having brunch rather than worshiping at church right now. Developing a prayer life of my own, eh, I've tried that. I'm just not into it. It's not my thing. It's not where I'm at right now. I'm just not into it. Hear me, friends. If you want to experience the real God, you've got to bring your real self into prayer. That's what's keeping most of us from progressing in our spiritual lives. As individuals and as churches, we're stuck with a prayer life where, where very real, very little real talk with God is going on. You may know the story of a group of Jews in Eastern Europe during the height of the Nazi regime. This group of Jews, there were about a thousand in number, which quickly became less. They were on the run. Some of the numbers have been shot and killed. And finally, they were gathering in this forest. They were exhausted. They gathered together to remember their fallen friends. 
And a prayer that they wrote, one of their leaders wrote, has survived from that time. And I'm going to read you this prayer that they said to God in the midst of that forest on that day, remembering what they had just gone through. God, we commend to you our fallen comrades. But now we have no more prayers, no more tears. We have run out of blood. Choose another people. We have paid for each of your commandments. We have covered every field and stone with ashes. Sanctify another land. Choose another people. Leave us alone. Take back the gift of our holiness. That's a raw, guttural, honest, and therefore pivotal prayer for that group. They dared to tell God what they were really thinking. They had two choices. They could have kept all of that spiritual frustration bottled up inside, letting it choke their spirits, or they could dare to say what they were thinking. Because they dared to say what they're thinking, if you go on and follow them in their story, God was able to minister to them where they were at. And for them, that's ultimately what saved their faith. Faith was their honesty. How about you? Make your prayers to God real. Stop this nicey-nicey stuff, this shallow, superficial stuff. Talk to God. For Abram, that took the form of telling God, we don't even have one child. This plan of yours, it's not working. Which brings us to the strangest part of this encounter that Abram had with God. We're told in verse 8, Abram said, O oh Lord God, how shall I know I will possess the land of promise? Notice here, he's raising another doubt. He's asking another question. God says, bring me a ram, three years old, a heifer, three years old, a turtle dove, a partridge in a pear tree almost. It's a maybe good way to end this. Actually, it just says a young pigeon. Verse 10, so Abram, Abram brought God all these designated animals, and then he does this strange thing of cutting them in two and laying each half out over against the other, leaving us to wonder what is going on here. In the ancient world, in Abraham, Abram's culture at the time, when there were not strong and lasting governments or strong laws in place throughout the land, when people entered into a covenant or a contract with each other, they would swear an oath to each other. And as a way of signifying their covenant and the seriousness with which they were taking it, they would sacrifice animals and they would cut them in half and then they would lay them out and then they would walk through the middle of them as if to say, if I breach this covenant, may I be split in two like these sacrificial animals. So Abram lays this out, ready for this covenant ceremony with God. When in verse 11 we read the birds of prey came down on the, on the carcasses, Abram is having to drive them away. And I imagine Abram on this small hill, all these animal parts are laid out, and these vultures and these crows are trying to descend on them, and Abram's running here and running there, he's shooing them away, and then he's finally utterly exhausted, and it says that he falls into a deep sleep, and that a deep and terrifying darkness descends upon him. Now that's a key phrase right there, 
a deep and terrifying darkness fell upon him in his encounter with God. Then the Lord said to Abram, Abram, know this for certain that your offspring shall be aliens in a land that is not theirs and shall be slaves there and shall be oppressed for 400 years. But afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. Abram, God was saying, I am going to fulfill my promise. Your offspring will reach the place of promise. They will live fully into their destiny. But you need to know, you asked, so you need to know. To get to that place of promise and destiny, they're going to have to pass through a place of deep and terrifying darkness. 400 years of slavery. But they'll come out the other side of it, ready to live into their destiny. Now, it seems to me that there's an important lesson in that for us. I hear God saying for us today, I'm going to get you to your place of promise and destiny in life, but you may have to go through some deep and terrifying darkness to get there. Why, God? Why did it have to be this way for Abram's descendants? You know, I've thought about that, about Israel. With the benefit of hindsight, perhaps we can understand why they had to go through what they had to go through. Abram had just one son, Isaac. Isaac had 12 sons. He and his family at this point were just a small tribal family in the middle of a wilderness surrounded by much more powerful city-states. And one of those could have in one fell swoop come in and completely obliterated that family. They were small, they were defenseless in comparison. So during a famine, God allowed them to be taken into Egypt where they became slaves. Yes, it was brutal. It was tough, it was difficult, but they, in a sense, were safe there. The Egyptians were going to protect their property, these Hebrews. They were the strongest power in the region. So for several centuries, the Israelites were able to grow numerous, so numerous that when they were ready to fend for themselves, God brings them out of Egypt, a stronger people, ready to enter the land of promise and to live into their destiny. So it makes sense why they had to go through this time of terrifying darkness. And that's true in our lives too. So often when we're going through it, we don't understand it. We say, God, I don't understand why I have to go through this. This life doesn't seem to be working out how I thought it should. And if we're going to have those kind of adult conversations with God, then we're gonna have to be adult enough sometimes to hear God saying back to us, I'm going to get you there, but you're going to have to go through some terrifying darkness. And I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes that's when our spiritual immaturity kicks in and we're tempted to revert back to superficial prayers when things get tough or don't go our way. We're tempted to imagine the easiest way out of our situations. And we demand in prayer that God give that answer to us. And then we hear God saying back to us, but I've got a different, a better plan. It will be more difficult, but it will be far better. And we stick our fingers in our ears and we say, God, I can't handle that. Give me the easiest way out. In the name of Jesus, amen. End of conversation. But friends, that's not real prayer. Real prayer is conversation. 
Real prayer does as much listening as talking. Real prayer is when we stop spending so much time telling God what to do and start spending more time in prayer trying to understand the mind of God, asking questions of God, seeking what God is already doing in our lives, and then cooperating with that. Notice, not once, not once at all in this chapter of Genesis, in this epic encounter with God, does Abram ask God for anything. He does ask God questions to try to figure out what God is already doing in his life so that he can rest in that and cooperate with that because Abram understood God's plan for his life was better than even his own plan for his life. And he was going to trust that. What if instead of presuming to tell God what to do all the time, we spend more time in prayer trying to understand what God is already doing and cooperate with that? God, I've got some questions. This doesn't make sense to me, God. Could you please shed some light on this? God, I want to know your mind. I want to know how you're working in my life because I don't want just to know you on a superficial level. I don't want you, God, to be this cosmic Santa Claus in my life. I want, you, I want to be in relationship with you. So ask God questions and listen deeply in your heart. Some people find it helpful to write out their prayers. And when you sense something, a word, a phrase, an image, verbalize it. Talk to God about it. Center yourself in worship. And then from that place of contentedness and worship, talk to God about how you're hearing the leadership of the spirit in your life. Play your favorite worship song. And then from that place of contentedness, talk to God. From that place of openness, sit in silence and listen for the impressions that will come into your heart. What God may be saying to you. In other words, don't just approach prayer as something where you're always giving instructions to God. Approach it as a two-way conversation. Friends, this morning, I'm inviting us to reframe how we think about prayer. I'm not saying that it's never appropriate to share the desires of our hearts with God. That's fine and that is good. But many of us have learned that that's all there is to prayer. A quick, a quick grocery list before bed. But that is just a small part of prayer. If you want to encounter the living God like Abram did, you've got to get past prayer as giving instructions to God to get to that place where prayer becomes a conversation, where you're bringing your doubts, you're bringing your questions, your real you, where you're wrestling sometimes with God, you're talking with God, and then you're listening to God. It's then that we have those breakthroughs. And it's then that we can feel the presence of God in our lives. And that's exactly what happens very briefly at the end of our story. When the sun had gone down, it was dark. Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between these sacrificed animals. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Fire, as you probably know, in Scripture often represents the presence of God's Spirit. Abram sees the Spirit of God right there with him, humbly going through this covenant ceremony with Abram. And on that day, Abram became a friend of God. Abram met God in prayer. 
How about us? Do we have the patience? Do we have the maturity? Are we really seeking God or just what God can give us? Let us end this sermon with a prayer. God, your ways are better, and we know it. God, we trust you. Give us a sense of your presence here and now and in our prayers so that we can know what you're doing and so that we can cooperate with you. Because we know that with you, even if we must pass through terrifying darkness, that you will bring us, each one of us, to that place of promise and destiny. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.